Howdy, you're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Uh, all right, howdy. Howdy! howdy. Woo! I, love the, I love the power of that. The power of the howdy. Uh, hey, like I said earlier, my name is William. If you're, if you're new here or still kind of getting your feet wet in RUF, we're just so glad you're here. Uh, welcome. If there's ever anything like I can do for you, any way that I can like, just answer questions about what we're doing and how we're doing things or anything we talk about, uh, or just how to get plugged in, I'd love to. Uh, our interns, Maggie and George, I'll just give a little little wave. Give them this mirror for it. They'd like to help you as well. Um, oh, and just also, I want to say just another word on the the pull, the ticket pull thing. So actually, if you could give those to Chris Coleman right there. To him, and we'll, we'll get it all figured out. You'll get it back. It's in safe hands. He's like the third or fourth most trustworthy person. I know. So, uh, uh, so, so, yeah, welcome. Um, all right, so here's a question that I have increasingly come to believe is one of the most important questions that you can ask yourself because if you answer it honestly, I think it will be as good a spiritual thermometer. Uh, as there is out there. And the question is this. What is the good life? What's the good life? Uh, we kind of got a running joke between uh, my wife Catherine and I just about people that like live their best something life now. We, at the end of the year last year, RUF, we normally do like a big beach trips, uh, RUF summer conference. We actually had to put together our own little bootleg summer conference because of COVID stuff. Lots of schools that weren't able to go, but it was, it was awesome. It was actually better than a normal summer conference, I think. But my oldest daughter, Lillian, who is going to be turning six uh, here in October, she she was living her like best beach life now. Because, like, at the beach, she was, like, she got to hang out with her, like, cool older college friends. And then after dinner, where her, you know, two younger sisters, Celine and Mary Kamak, had to go to bed early, uh, Lillian got to take, like, long walks on the beach with the college girls. And, yeah, so she was just, like, uh, high on life right now. She was living her best life now, her best beach life. Um, what would be your best life now? Um, I would probably involve uh, a lot more fly fishing than it does. It would probably involve a lot more uh, Auburn National Championships than currently exist. Um, you know, so you know hissing, hissing? So remember, okay, did the, one of the yell leaders like like rebuke everybody for booing at the game? Yep. Okay, hissing is just self-righteous booing. There I said it. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, all right. Um, just stop booing. You're just pretending like it's not as bad. Classic booing. Right. Um, um, hey, maybe your best life now would look like a day at the ranch, or maybe like nonstop Fortnite. You know, I don't know. I don't know what you're into. But the passage we're about to read from Genesis is a zoomed-in camera view into the creation story that we looked at last week. So, right, we, we heard the big creation story, and now we're kind of like focusing the camera in um, to look at a more specific part of it, see more detail for what it looked like 
for the first people to live their best life now, and there would have been like no kind of sarcastic bite to it because it's true. It's actually true. They lived life. They worked. They rested. They had a relationship. They had marriage. Um, they had a relationship with God, and uh, there was no sin, evil, sadness, just pure, unadulterated, um, and all those things. Um, and so as we read, that's what I want us to tune in with that question. What is the good life? And how much does my answer to that, how much does your answer to that actually line up with the only time in history that like the true, pure, good life was actually lived out by human beings? All right, so let's tune in. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 4. We'll have it up here. You got it in your bulletin. Uh, let's read. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took a man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Flesh, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's the word of the Lord was praying. Um, Lord, as we just get this picture of the good life, of real life on earth, like real human beings with flesh and bones and feelings, um, Lord, I think it's easy for us to sometimes treat these Bible stories kind of like cartoons and cartoon characters. Um, they were real. They were realer than real. Um, and Lord, how beautiful that is, what gets described. A world with no pain, with no sadness, no death, just joy, just you, just like the richness of what we see. So Lord, we pray um, that as we step into the story, uh, you would actually make us more real through it. That we would actually take a dip into paradise 
for a little bit, that we would experience life as it was meant to be lived to help us to understand why things are so wrong now and what we need to be set to rights. Lord Jesus, will you do this? In the your name we pray, amen. So in the Harvard, uh, I can't talk, Harvard Business Review entitled Why You Should Tell Your Team to Take a Break and Go Outside, Emma Sapala lays out her research and her argument for why, you guessed it, why business owners should tell their people to take a break and go outside, right? Big, big brain stuff um, we handle here at RQF. So she writes this, greener office environments can boost employee performance and decision making. One study found that even just exposure to greenery through office plants boosted not just employee well-being, but also productivity by 15%. Pretty good, pretty good. Lead researcher Marlon Neuenheis concludes, our research suggests that investing in landscaping the office with plants will pay off through an increase in office workers' quality of life and productivity. Okay, so I, I don't want to be like too heavy-handed with this, but I think the reason why little factoids like that are true is because of the reality that we just read, the reality of our true origins as the human race. Um, that the biblical account we just read is actually more tapped in with reality than maybe you've considered um, in the past. But let me ask you like this. Like, why is going on vacation in Colorado or Taos or going to Seaside or going to Beach Week like we did, why is that so fun? Why is that so refreshing? Refreshing for your body, but also refreshing for your soul. I mean, how many people just kind of want to escape and get like a respite, just a beautiful mountain vacation home, like to just get their head right. Um, I was the camp minister at a boys' summer camp up in uh, Midtown, Alabama, Lookout Mountain, um, and it was just so refreshing. Just like woods up in the mountain, the little river like flowing behind our little mountain cottage. Like it couldn't have just been more picturesque. It's beautiful, and it was just so refreshing. And as I was a lot of the counselors out there are all RUF students like you at, at Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, UT Knoxville, places like that. Um, and I was talking with an Ole Miss guy, and he told me that, like, he's like, dude, I've only been here for a couple weeks, but I actually feel like a real human being for the first time in months. He's like, in fact, I. Like, I don't even, like, they took their phones away. They can only look at it, like, in the staff line. It's like, I just don't even want to look at my phone. Because I just know what's waiting for me back there. Like, I don't even want to go back to Oxford. Because I just feel like a, like a half-self is waiting for me back there. Um, yeah, I think the reason why you love beautiful landscapes, the reason why he felt like a real person living in an unadulterated creation is because you are tapping into something primordial, something true in that, um, right? So what's, what is the big picture being painted for us in the Garden of Eden? Um, Meredith Klein, he's ancient Near Eastern scholar, linguistic scholar, spend a lot of time studying ancient Ugaritic and Hittite texts. I'm sure it's normal, you know, summer reading for most of you. Uh, but he has been really helpful uh, for us like pastors and theologians because he points out 
that look, if you were an ancient Near Eastern person, just kind of swimming in the waters of like their myths and their legends and all those things, just their culture, that if as you heard the biblical account read to you, you would have immediately and naturally understood uh, what the Garden of Eden was. What was the Garden of Eden? The Garden of Eden uh, is a garden, but it's more than that. Because it's, it's actually like a mountain garden, and not just any mountain garden, it's a temple mountain garden. Right? It's the temple where God dwells, and where His representatives on earth, like His little copies made in His image, dwell with Him, and they serve Him. They're His priests on His temple, co-rulers even with Him. And right, so it's just to be like streams flowing down out of this temple mountain and watering the earth and the imagery of like jewels and beautiful things. It's a temple. Maybe the reason people love going on a mountain vacation so much is because it reminds you of your true home, your long lost home, dwelling with God in his temple. Okay, again, don't want to be too heavy handed with that, even though I love nature, I love the mountains. Uh, the Bible starts with a garden mountain. It ends with a vision of heaven actually being a garden city. Garden city on the mountain. So kind of like in Asheville, North Carolina. Maybe a little less, uh, less hipsters. Or maybe way more hipsters. I don't know. Probably more. Um, Alright, here's my point. I think there are just ample resources here in uh, these first couple chapters of the Bible as we seek to answer the question, like, what really is a good life? How can we tap into that? And so specifically, I just want to think about two things uh, this evening. How does this show us what a good place is? And how does this show us what a good people are? All right, so we're going to think about a good place, good people. All right, so what's a good place? So there's some prominent features of the environment of Eden. Trees get talked about a lot. Uh, lots of fruit trees for food. You know, the idea of just rich, rich, overabounding, all kinds of different trees. God could have made one tree with one kind of fruit. But that's apparently not the kind of God he is. Um, he's a God that provides variety and richness. Um, okay, but then there are these other two specific trees that get mentioned. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and here's the thing. Those trees created an environment, they communicated something. What do they communicate? So first, let's tackle the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil. So God said, don't eat of this tree, otherwise you'll die. And if you skip ahead a couple of uh, verses, we, we find that that doesn't mean necessarily physically die, at least not yet, but actually spiritually die. To be disconnected from God. Experiencing evil, sin, alienation from God. Why would eating it do that? Because the tree, by its presence, and everyone knowing, like, okay, God said, like, there might have been nothing, but, like, everyone kind of draws it like some kind of poison, evil tree. It's probably just like a normal tree. But God said, that tree right there, don't eat of its fruit. Um, and what that communicated is that every time Adam and Eve looked at that tree, they saw... And they heard loud and clear, all right, God is the one who gets to decide what's right, what's wrong. God gets to decide what's good, what's evil. 
And our job is to not usurp that authority, but to actually respect it, uphold it, to love it, agree with it even, right? That, that we have a good, good father who only has a track record of generosity, love, and bounty, and we're going to uphold what he said. So that's what that tree would have communicated to them. Now, second, the tree of life. What did it communicate? So it held out the promise of life, eternal life. Being with God, being with one another, and having the good life without bounds or measure, just forever and ever and ever. That's what it held out to them. Um, my mother-in-law, some of y'all know, some of y'all actually helped me build uh, this garden. Got a little bar- garden in my backyard. And my mother-in-law is just like a crazy gardener. She just has this like huge, she grows everything. And so she sent me a YouTube video uh, of this guy named Paul Gauchi, and he's an organic gardener. He bought a big, huge orchard and tract of land in the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State. And so he gets out there, he's got this orchard, there's already trees, and he drills a well for water, and nada. There's nothing. Drills another well, nada. And so he's sitting there going like, holy crap, what am I going to do? i got this orchard, I bought all this land, dumped all this money into this. I can't water my stuff. And so he starts looking around, and again, he's like in the Pacific Northwest. He looks out into this like this huge, lush forest with trees. And he starts looking down, and he sees just this like mulch, like rich mulch and stuff all over the ground. So he just like starts collecting a bunch of mulch. And he lays it all down, like at the roots, all over his orchard, and basically turns his orchard just into a Pacific Northwest forest floor. And according to him, I guess we have to take his word for it, he has never once fertilized or ever had to water his orchard ever. Um, Because he tapped into that. Okay, so, um, you know, the don't eat of the tree of good and evil ship has sailed. Um, as we'll talk about more next week. Um, However, the gospel, the good news of Christianity is that even though we are waiting for Jesus to return to earth one day to restore all things back to this original good, sinless paradise world we just read about, and we pray sooner rather than later, Jesus come quickly. Um, So even though we're waiting on that, The good news is that we can actually have some Garden of Eden mulch and compost actually like push up into our spiritual roots. That we can actually live in a nutritious, new heavens, new earth, Eden environment for our souls. Where? Where do we find that kind of mulch? Um, Well, where do you find the message that one, God is just kind and richly pours out blessing on people. Where do you find a message that he is a just God and he's going to uphold good and he's going to punish evil and to violate his commands is just going to like rip you and rip everybody else around you apart and it's going to be a disaster and you're going to be a disaster. Uh, and then three, where do you find it communicated that he's a God that holds out life eternal to people through a tree. Right? I mean, even a tree hewn and formed in fashion to a Roman cross. 
Where do we find that message? We find it in our Bibles, right? Yeah. Scriptures of the New and Old Testament. Um, and of course, here at RUF, we're, we're all about soaking the Bible in in private, right? Please be a, a reader of the Bible. But actually, what I think is even more important than that, yeah, more important than that, is what we do not individually, but corporately, together. What we're doing right here, right now, what we do in small groups is when we actually read the Bible aloud, unpack the Bible together, sit under the preaching of it, right? Even the songs we sing, like, I, I think our music team's really good. Um, but, you know, we don't sing the songs we sing just because they, like, they sound good or they're really entertaining. We actually really carefully try to pick songs that just have, like, explicit Bible words and Bible themes in them because we just want all that we do in worship to just be soaked in God's Word because it is mulch. It's the mulch that God has designed to give us life, to actually communicate Himself to us. And look, y'all, like, you will do yourself a giant favor when it comes to kind of you accessing the Bible in your life. If you will flip a switch, right? If you will flip a switch from, uh, like, I, I, I know I need to read my Bible more. I know I need to do my quiet times more. And it being this kind of like, oh, it's just this thing that creates actually just guilt in your life. Or it's just a, a reminder of how you feel like you're, not really a good Christian or not pursuing the Lord. Like if you if you will just turn that off and flip the switch in this direction, man, it'll be life for you. Here's what I want you to flip it to. If you will think about, hey, if I can get scripture in my life and like principally get scripture in my life through like corporately just locking down, I'm gonna be in this small room. Or I'm going to come to RDF. Or I'm going to, here's my church. Like, I am just kind of setting up an architecture of Scripture uh, that is going to just be in my life. Right? To give me a God's Word environment to live in. I'm just going to, like, build a house of Scripture to live in. Right? That's what, that's what we're doing here um, in RUF. Right? To form you. The forming and shaping, not in the day, not in the evening. Um, you're going to learn a lot, you know, in any given large group. We're not tackling this thing in one night. It's over time, over the long haul. Like, sit in that scripture environment uh, that the Lord has given you. Okay, so that's a good environment. <coughs> what about good people? And by that, I just really mean that the good life is about good healthy relationships with people. Some of you might be familiar with Brene Brown. She's um, a, a researcher. She used to be at the University of Houston. I don't know if she's still there um, or not. But she's just become, like created this cottage industry of thinking about uh, shame and vulnerability. She's awesome. Um, she says this about like all her research, everything that she's done in her PhD work and studies, she said, I have come to like one unavoidable conclusion when it comes to like what are people made for? People are made for meaningful relationships with other people. Period, full stop. Right? All her research came to that fascinating conclusion. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that when you read the creation account, like from the beginning and, and going into where we 
uh, are tonight, that you're just kind of met with over and over again God saying, like, he creates something and he goes, it's good. And he creates something else and it was good. He creates something else and it was good. He creates something else and it was very good. And then God creates me. And he molds him out of mud, like pottery, breathes divine life into him. And then for the first time, God says something is not good. And what is not good? It is not good for man to be alone. So he creates woman. And certainly, you know, the direct context of this passage is kind of man and woman, marital relationship. But we can also extrapolate that out, that this is just also about, like, human society. Like, men and women unmarried dwelling together in community. Or even, like, you know, male-male friendships, female-female friendships. Like, this, it is not good for human beings to be alone. Remade. The good life is for us to be in healthy relationships with people. And there's a million different directions I could go in um, on this. But, but today, I just kind of want to lay out for you three friendship relationship values that the passage pulls out to us. That if pursued, will connect you up with the good life that God uh, wants for us. So here's value one. Value one. It is good and okay to make friends with people that are similar to you, right? Have similar personalities, similar interests. It's good. Um, why was the re- why did Adam like Eve so much? She didn't wear a lot of clothes. That could be part of it. Um, but why? Because she was similar to him. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. You are like me. Um, they were alike. Right? So, like, as you're, maybe you're new or old in college, whatever, wherever you are, like, it's okay for you to, like, pursue people that have similar interests to you, that have similar affinities. That's a good thing, right? Don't feel bad for that. Okay. So, I think that comes pretty natural to us. We're pretty, you know, magnetized to people that, um, that share things. But here's how you do. Make friends with people that are different. Maybe even opposite from you. Um, again, what, what was Eve? Eve was created opposite to Adam. Right? They complemented one another. That's actually a good, beautiful thing that all of us, we are incomplete. Uh, in the New Testament, it gets talked about like a body. We're a body. If you have a body that's all eyes, that's gross and disgusting. Right? So you have to have all the different parts of the body that's ever been. <laughs> Um, so, right, if you're loud and outgoing, make friends with people that are quiet. Um, if you're super into sports or hunting and fishing, make friends with people that are, like, more artistic or uh, into literature. Um, we need that. If everyone's exactly the same, one, it's not healthy. Two, it's not fun. Right? It's fun for us to be in a community where we are different, we're all bringing different things to the table, we're accentuating one another, and we're even like pushing and challenging one another and pulling each other out of like our, our echo chambers that we so naturally want to drift into. Okay, and here's the third value. The third value is to relentlessly destroy shame. Relentlessly destroy shame. Because we see one of the best parts of human relationships before sin entered the world was the absence of shame. They were naked, unashamed. 
That means being a someone who says, I am made in the image of God, so is every other person I ever met or ever will meet. They are made in the image of God. So what they have baked into them is just inherent dignity. And what they deserve is to be treated according to that image, with love, with respect, with kindness. Um, People deserve your love because they are made in God's image. So what that means is that you hold that value out and you say, like, I can be known for me, the good, the bad, the ugly of me, and it's okay for you to be valued and known for the good, the bad, the bad, and ugly about you. And there's nothing that disqualifies anyone from being shown respect and love and kindness. Um, okay, so I would argue the Bible lays out you holding up those three values, among others. We can list other things. That's not an exhaustive list. And that is actually what it looks like for you to tap into the good life. The good life of relationships and friendships that are healthy and life-giving for you. Here's the catch. You can't do it. You can't manufacture that. I promise you can't. I know you can't. Um, you can try. You will fail. Um, at least you will fail if you try to do those things in your power according to the resources that exist in you. Because your natural bent is you're going to be like, you're just going to cloister up with PLUs, people like us. You're just going to be with them. Or you're like crazy outreaching and altruistic, but you just kind of get like blown out into a, a mess because you just, you don't really know yourself or what you actually like. You have to work because you're just, you're just pulled around by other people and you'll probably burn out doing that. Um, and I think inevitably you are going to shame other people or you're going to wear some kind of mask because you're trying to hide who you really are. Um, okay. So if we can't manufacture good relationships out of our own power, how can we tap into this good life, this good model of what relationships can look like? We do it by tapping into Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians that this, this little line that we read about a man leaving his father and mother and um, joining his wife, marrying his wife, Pachin tells us, hey, yeah, that's talking about marriage. Actually, you know what it's really about? It's actually really about Jesus and his relationship to his church, his relationship to his people. Um, and his relationship to us is the most healthy thriving example of what a relationship looks like. He's similar to us. He became man. He became just like us. He's without sin, but he actually became sin for us. Right? Took on sin in our stead. He deshames us, even. You want to talk about relentless um, elimination of shame. That's Jesus' business. And he's different from us, too. He's God. He's sinless. And even still, like, he who has all the value in the world steps in to show us value and redemption, even when we don't experience it. He respects and uplifts the disrespected and the lowly. Jesus not only shows us how to do healthy, life-giving relationships, he does healthy, life-giving relationships to us. He does it to us. And because he does it towards us, then we actually have the power, we have the reason to be agents of that good life to others as well. 
Uh, doesn't that sound like a good life? To just see like that. To just see like people lifting up other people in the name of this love that they received from God. And just like just exponentially increasing positive feedback loop of inclusion, of love, of support. To just see that grow. Doesn't that sound like a good life? To see that more and more take place here. To see that more and more take place in your fraternities, in your orgs, in your sororities, at the, on the quad, in your family even. Hey, let's create that environment. Let's create that community through Jesus, shall we? Let's pray. Um, Lord, um, many of us, uh, like the idea of like, Christianity equaling inclusion um, feels new because maybe for many of us here, like it, it has been Christians that have been the least inclusive people that we've interacted with. Um, there are people in this room that have been burned by the church. Um, Jesus, uh, that's a shame. And Lord Jesus, you think that's a shame. And there's just no, in no way that that actually represents you or following you. So Lord, I hope that what we got here was a vision cast for who you are and what you're actually doing in this world and how you are actually intent as you go to the cross, as you go to the tree to die, that you do so to give life. That you went to the tree to die so that you could restore pockets of Eden. Lord, would you help us die to ourselves, to the things we want? Uh, would you help us die to the, the priorities we have so that we could have life and give life? others around us. Would you help us, Lord? Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If y'all are interested in joining us for a future worship night, we would absolutely love to see y'all at All Face Chapel uh, on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events that we might be putting on throughout the semester. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope to see you all around sometime.